2: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
1: caught offside
3: with andrew gunling and jj davani oh yes caught offside We're just outside of new york city from an apartment in brooklyn new york andrew Gundling. and jj davani what's up brother
4: so much football, Andrew, it's I feel like we're we're just inundated. And in, in many ways, it's great. In many other ways, when you're trying to do a podcast, you're like, what am I leaving out here?
3: I know that is true. But ultimately, it is great. It's a good problem to have when we're like, God, there's too many things to talk about. <laughs> like That is so good. You on Tuesday were treated to Arsenal three,
4: Arsenal four, sorry, Luton three, Arsenal four,
3: mm-hmm.
4: Belter. And we'll talk about that absolute belter that got me going. That one really gave me the horn. That just was perfect. That got me soccer excited.
3: Well, that's good, and we will talk about it. We're gonna we got that game. We got a lot of midweek Premier League action to talk about. Manchester City in in a funk. Spurs in a in a real funk right now. Um, we'll have Steve Cangelosi on later in the program. First time I believe he's been on this show, which is awesome. One of the voices of uh, MLS on Apple. Uh, He had, he said calls all throughout the postseason, but he was on the call of the Western Conference Final last weekend for LAFC and Houston Dynamo. He's going to join us for a preview of MLS Cup Final, which is this Saturday, four o'clock. It's on Apple for free this weekend. So just know that everybody out there. Uh, So we'll talk to Steve coming up in the second half of the program. There's a lot. Copa America draw happened just before we went on. Uh, So there's a lot going on. Before we get into all of that, just two bits of caught offside housekeeping that I want to get out there for everybody right now okay. first and foremost the merch yes. went live and it went live before we recorded we thought okay let's just it's ready to go let's just put it up you know don't imagine we'll sell very much right now we'll do a pod and announce it and then we'll see how it works gone before we even had a chance to record gone sold out so
4: so it was unbelievable uh things went really really quickly um I always wanted it to be limited because I thought it would be popular. I never thought it would be this popular. I have to make first of all, thanks to everyone who bought their merch. It is now my job to try and get it to you as quickly as I possibly can. Um, because it like I said, this is a two-man operation and on on it's 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 a lot. But thank you. The other thing I wanted to say is that to those that are disappointed, I take all of that disappointment that you missed out on merch, you didn't. You have just been temporarily delayed with your merch. Think of it that way. This will be up again in January. We will add to the merch. We will add different things that people have been looking for. Um, I will try and streamline the process. It's my first time doing it. I'm doing it on my own. It's a bear. There's far more moving parts than I thought. So I need to figure out how to be more efficient, I think is the word. Um, I've never sold anything online. Nothing. And this is the first time I've done it. So I'm just proud of myself to get started. Profit loss doesn't really matter to me right now, just to get it started. And I want those who've bought t-shirts, please wear the t-shirts when they arrive. <laughs> Hopefully soon, uh, put them on, wear them around, take pictures, put them on social media. Let me see you enjoying enjoying the merch because I am proud of it. And um, and yeah, it's been a process. It's it's it, it, I wanted it to happen in the spring, but uh, my daughter arrived in May, and that put the kibosh on a lot of that uh but yes i'm sorry there's people hardcore listeners god i can st- i i know their names i can see their faces we have a hardcore listenership in australia you guys missed out this time i will make sure that does not happen again even if the shipping is going to break the bank for you <laughs> i will make sure it happens by the way we you're... should say
3: that we don't sh- we don't determine what the shipping and handling fees
4: are no well no obviously we don't but we, you know we try to do our best for like i tried to make it uh, as low as possible for the United States, uh, but 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 we have listeners in Australia, listeners in Canada, we've listener we have listeners in Norway. Uh, guys, I'm 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 gonna fix this. This is my first shot at it. No, nothing cris- is
3: whoa easy. Hold on, nothing is broken. This was like a soft launch. This was like mm. this was this was like a sort of like a pre release. There was a limited number, and in January we're a full go. So I don't apologize. I know I think I know. it's I, I think it's awesome. It, look, if people are upset that is I see that as a good problem to have. It means people really want it and that's that's great. Um I know But it's
4: just I think if I wasn't going away on December 20th if I wasn't taking Roisin to Ireland yeah, well, I I I would be much more comfortable, much more relaxed. I'd be able to just drift into that. But I am going. Um and it's important that I go. So so like it's just the confluence of a lot of things. But I want to thank everyone who bought it. Yeah. So I, quickly as well. It was like my phone just kept pinging with emails and emails saying, you know, this is purchased, that is purchased. I know now which are the some of the more popular um, items as well in our color branding scheme. So, look, brilliant. Thanks to everyone. I do like, you know, what Catholic guilt is, Andrew. Mm. I don't think I did anything wrong, but I still have guilt. And, um, and my Catholic guilt extends to those in Australia that I have let down, yeah. those in the yeah. United Kingdom, those in Ireland. I will fix this. I promise. Um, I am just going to learn. It's been a process of growth, I would say. Uh, And I'm not good at everything. There's a lot of stuff, oversight stuff. I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot about that. Oh, my God.
3: I've never seen you, your guilt run wild like this. Like you've always talked about your Catholic guilt and Mm. I've seen like flashes of it. I've never seen it like this. It's it's really unleashed right now. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm almost
4: embarrassed for you. I'm almost about to cross from Catholic guilt into full-blown Jewish guilt. I'm, I'm really getting up there oh, right in no. the guilt sticks. Yeah. Hey, hey, I've seen yours, so
3: don't even start. Oh, no, but no. Yeah, no. That... yeah, this isn't about me, though. This is a side of you. I know, I know. It's it's it, almost... is, it
4: is be- It is because, and this is some of the stuff in my psyche that keeps me from doing stuff, is like yeah. the fear of letting people down. If I don't do it, can't let them down. Um, that, is, that is definitely a part of my psyche. Anyway, enough of this. Thank you. What's the next
3: piece you of go. of housekeeping? Well, for the people who are upset, maybe this will help a little bit. Uh, mark your calendars right now. Next Thursday, December 14th, believe we're targeting 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. We make our long-awaited return to YouTube for a live stream. We want to do an sure. end-of-year special where we can interact with everybody. We'll throw out some kind of end-of-year. I mean, obviously, we'll talk about what's going on currently uh, in all around the world in soccer. Um, but we'll throw out some end of year stuff as well, and we want people to be able to join on that live stream uh, in the chat and interact with us. Give some of their thoughts on on the things that we throw out. So we're targeting uh, Thursday, December fourteenth, nine thirty p.m. Eastern time, a live YouTube a holiday special. For caught offside, as everybody gets uh, set to kind of coast into their their holiday season, their vacation time, we want to be able to kind of take you into that time of the year with a special live edition of this uh, of this podcast. And if you can't make it for that, I, I believe it will go up the following morning as a, a regular podcast as well so you'll still have access to it but we want as many people on the youtube live stream as possible to be able to interact with us as we we look back on the year so that should be a lot of fun thursday december 14th 9 30 p.m eastern time if that time changes at all which i don't anticipate but if it does we'll let you we'll, know. we'll give everybody as much heads up as possible on social media and on our podcast early next week before that one christmas, so there you go.
4: christmas jumper big glass of coquito yeah which is for people who don't know oh wow a puerto rican eggnog i would call it yeah um and uh we we, we might get drunk
3: should be fun should be yep. fun um tonight is the first night of hanukkah we're recording this thursday night um yes. which which is always fun to it gets more and more fun in my house as my kids start to get a little bit older and can like enjoy the gifts more the gifts get to be a little bit more fun the, the only sad thing so last do you know how to like properly wrap presents no, I'm terrible at it. Uh, thank you. At the uh, last night Amanda and I were wrapping gifts and like mine like if if a stranger were to come and look at the two like her gifts that were wrapped versus the ones that were wrapped by me, people would be like they would look at mine and be like, "Oh, that's adorable that you let Luke wrap some of the presents." Like that it's it's pathetic. I don't know I, I guess I just never learned. I got better as I went, but it's it's a bad look for an adult to wrap presents the way that I do.
4: Uh, it's it's mine is clumsy there's there's you can see parts of the under wrapper uh yeah. far too much sellotape uh irregular angles it's, it's also
3: it's also an irrational amount of time spent on on something that the only purpose of it is to have it torn to shreds within seconds well i
4: do think that as as if if we're talking about being sustainable don't don't wrap them have some kind of a reveal cloth that you can drape over such them. a good idea. That is yeah, such know, a better idea. Like like a like a TV show uh presenter showing a prize
3: for the game show. Like go, and then pull it off. Because yeah. then then you can use it again. Yeah, that is that's a way better idea. Wrapping gifts, the amount of time it takes for three seconds, gone. Yeah. Like it does it doesn't make sense. Uh but happy Hanukkah to everybody out there who's celebrating. I know it was a fun night in my house. Hopefully it was not yours as well. All right, let's get into it. That's all the silly stuff. Uh, now we get down to business. Copa America, the draw went down tonight. Um, look, there will be there will be so much time between now and when it actually begins um, for analysis. So I'm just going to give you the bare bones of what we know now that we didn't know a couple hours ago. The U.S. had been drawn into Group C alongside Uruguay, Panama, and Bolivia. Now here's your schedule while you're on while you're on your google calendars right now marking down december 14th 9:30 for the live stream while you're there you can mark down sunday we don't have the times yet But Sunday, June 23rd is when the U.S.'s Copa America will begin. It's going to be against Bolivia at AT AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. That's game one for the U.S. Game two, Thursday, June 27th against Panama at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. And then they round out the group stage, the last game of the group stage, against Uruguay, which might be an advantage for the U.S. to have that one last. That's going to be at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City on Monday, July 1st. initial thoughts on that i don't have like i said analysis will be done later all i can say is no excuses have to advance absolutely no excuses must advance i'm not i'm, I'm not trying to speak ill of bolivia and certainly not panama who have given the u.s a hard time we've seen it but this is going to be our a squad and uh, call me arrogant fine the U.S.'s a squad has to beat panama has to beat bolivia um uruguay that's another story they're they're better than the u.s um But I'll get to something on that in a sec. So should the U.S. advance, as I believe they should and will in my own head, should they advance, what will that look like? They will be paired up with Group D for both the quarterfinals and semifinals. That is not amazing news because Group D consists of Brazil, Colombia, Paraguay, and the winner of the Costa Rica-Honduras playoff. So basically, let's say that things play out according to form and Uruguay wins the group and the U.S. are runners-up. That will mean that the U.S. will face the winner of Group D in the quarterfinals, which will likely be Brazil. Could be Colombia, but for the time being, you assume that it would be Brazil. And that's going to be a tall order. Uh, Quarterfinals for Group C and D, that's going to be Saturday, July 6th, um, in either Las Vegas or Glendale, Arizona, should the U.S. reach the semifinals. Wednesday, July 10th in Charlotte, and then the final is Sunday, July 14th in Miami. Hard rock gets the uh, gets that. So my initial thoughts, like I said, have to get out of the group. If they don't, I would say Bearhalter's job will be in serious jeopardy. Yes. And then tell me what you, the, the only other piece of analysis I have, JJ, I wonder if you if you agree with me where like if you think about the US's marquee wins over the last, you know, since this team has kind of rose together to to some level of prominence, they've won the games that I feel like they should now Mexico is obviously close, but I think we've gotten a sense of the USA squad versus Mexican a squad in this time period. And the U S is better than them. They win all those games. So even those now I'm sort of getting to a place where I feel like we should be winning these. Okay. Now when the U S comes up against opposition that are maybe a little bit tougher, the U S don't win. They draw some England in the world cup, but you know, the Dutch, dramatically outplayed the U.S. at the World Cup. Some of our friendlies, Germany, dramatically outplayed the U.S. in in a friendly when the Germans weren't in a great moment. Um, I kind of am targeting this Copa America to look at the U.S. and say, the expectation needs to go up at some point if we believe this team is as good as it is. And I'm kind of looking at next summer's Copa to be like, you know what, beat someone you're not supposed to beat. Whether that's Uruguay on the group stage, if it winds up being Uruguay, Brazil, Colombia, some combination of those three, because those yeah. are the three they'll have to face if they want to go on a run here. They're not going to be favorites in any of those games. Beat one of them. Beat one of them. I th- I feel like it's time where we can where we can start to expect something like to happen like that to happen if this team is as good as we have been told they are and at times think that they are.
4: I agree with you. Um, I think. If you look at the, and, and just a quick comment, because I do want to move on from it. I honestly believe in what you're saying. is It's just absolutely correct. And when Bearhalter Halter talks about people, making people look at the U.S. and the U.S. men's national team in a different light, this is what he means. This is what he means. Mm-hmm. There has to be a big tournament, big game win over a nation that's better than us or is ranked better than us is perceived believed, to be better than us. Perceived to be better than us. It has to happen. Yeah, I don't actually think beating Uruguay, I think it would be significant, but I don't think it would be that. Hmm. Um, It would be significant, but you're right. The teams that they face going forward from that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It has to happen.
3: Now it, that it, it that Uruguay match happen. could be, if if the goal is to avoid Brazil as long as possible, that U.S. Uruguay match in the final match of the group could be enormously important. Um, but wouldn't it be great if, if that's for a winner, to win to winner, a must wins win, the group? A
4: must-win game that's not against Concacaf opposition and win a game. Yeah, that would be. That's that's the that's the dream, ain't
3: it? Honestly, it has to be. <laughs> it yeah. can't, this, the dream can't just be about again not trying to be arrogant, but it's got to be about more than just winning nations leagues. You know, like... Listen, that's why we got so excited under
4: old Yorgi Poo's when we beat the Dutch and we beat the Germans on our European tour that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where that excitement comes from. Those were only friendlies, but that's where that sense of oh, we can we can compete with the very best in the world, and 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 that is the that is the whole raison d'être for any U.S. soccer manager that's coming in now with this current crop of talent.
3: Yeah, but uh, but that is about six and a half months away, June twenty third is that first game. So there, there'll be time. We'll have hey, plenty of time for preview editions and breakdowns and all that. Andrew, you're
4: currently holding me back from praising Declan Rice. That is more of an unusual situation than the U S beating a top quality team.
3: So let's go into it. Let's move from that Copa America draw to midweek premier league action where Arsenal break Luton hearts with a last second header from the man you just mentioned, Declan Rice. What drama! Pretty much the last touch of the ball off of his head into the back of the net, and an enormous three points for Arsenal. They win at four three, and they keep their place atop the table.
4: Massive, and it was just if if this game, it, it, this game felt like the start of the football seasonal program. I mean, essentially it was. Yeah. Uh, if this didn't whet your appetite for the rest of the season, and in particularly this kind of winter series across December. I don't know what else will. It was a cracker, absolute cracker. Arsenal uh, for long periods did not play very well. Susceptible on set pieces, very, uh, very alarmingly so. Alarmingly so. Their goalkeeper looking shaky. Should have saved Ross Barkley's. Should have saved the header. Also, their ultimate saviour and hero getting absolutely bullied on the corner that led to the 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 two two goal, um, falling behind and then coming back with two goals to rescue it. It was, now again, Arsenal have made something of a habit, which we like about title contenders of looking like they're going to lose and then pulling it from the fire. Mm -hmm. We also like this about Arsenal because a major criticism pretty much post Wenger is that, and during a lot of Wenger's latter years was that they were soft. There was no softness here. Arsenal put it together very, very well. Uh, right at the end, they kept playing and they did, the heads didn't go down. Odegaard, it's a fantastic cross and Rice is, it's a, every time you look at the header, it's actually better and better because as good as the cross is, he has a lot to do to guide that into the bottom, to the bottom right-hand corner uh, uh left of the keeper. It's a brilliant, brilliant goal. There's much to like about Arsenal. There's still worries coming out of this game. um But
3: a massively important win, really was. Um, a few things off of what you said there. First off, while, while we're talking about Declan Rice, I guess it's a decent time to analyze. Okay, 105 million. Mm. We've seen what we've seen so far. A couple of huge goals that he has scored for them. As much as a player who plays that position can be, it, would you say so far? Okay, we're Arsenal are getting the return on that investment. Uh, Late winner against Manchester United, late winner against Luton,
4: crucial, crucial goals. Um, There was criticism early on. We talked about it, uh, about what he does when he receives the ball in midfield and how Arsenal build through uh, midfield, build through the phases, create attacks. There there had been question marks because some of the things he did is different from maybe what Arsenal needed. But I think overall... I think overall he's been very very good. Anytime I've watched him I've been I've been impressed.
3: I think so too. I think
4: and, so too. And um and that goal like we forget that he is a young player but he's also kind of a young experienced player if you know what I mean like he had a lot of time as a 19 year old and 20 year old in the West Ham first team. He's like he's not a veteran but he he knows the Premier League and he knows the demands of it and kind of just arriving they are to get on the end of that cross and score a goal. It's like, it's leadership. It's leadership. It's not buying a young, callow player who's got potential to bring into your team. That's trying to break through. It's not that he's got more than that. Yeah. Um, I, I would say though, like for me, um, there's some, there's something really impressive about Gabriel Jesus right now. Um, because I don't, like, I he's not this, like, absolute goal machine. Um, he's not this complete and utter, uh, you know, he's not a Holland, But what he is doing is, like, really kind of gelling that forward line together. And they're so much more cohesive. They're so much more fluid when he's in the team. Look at the Havertz goal. That Havertz goal is his strength. His strength. He's got his back to goal, holding off a defender. A wonderful flick into Havertz's path. And, and Havertz does what a top, what a 60 million pound player should do from that from that position. Granted, what he's not done regularly. Mm-hmm. Um Jesus, brilliant. Odegaard. Um again, like the the calmness just to say, all right, okay, focus on the quality, get a proper ball into the box. And he swivels lovely, puts in that cross, Rice heads home um by the way in a small compact stadium like that when
3: when the away section pops off it's amazing it's truly amazing i love that stadium i really love watching games that are being played in there right the view like the camera angle just like i don't know when when they have that one camera that kind of like shoots up along like into the crowd you really feel like you really get a sense of how small and intimate it really is it's it's wild it is. I, one of the best games
4: I ever I've ever been to. And I suppose my experience in League of Ireland was always small grounds close to the field. But I went to Loftus Road, uh, home of QPR once, and right in on the action. Give me that any Day over a massive spectacular bowl of a stadium. Get me right down in there with a with a with a full house. That is that's what you want. And that's what Kenilworth Road is. De- Luton, desperately unlucky like like so unlucky Mm. um but they got tired you could see them falling back and Arsenal's just superior quality won the day in the end
3: yeah uh two other quick final things on that one you mentioned gabriel jesus uh with his goal jj for a player who was kind of a backup sort of at man city arsenal he's been really good so far but he's been in and out with injuries quietly he's rising up the charts he just passed eric cantona in goals scored in the Premier League 71 goals now for Gabriel Jesus, uh, passing Cantona, who was on 70. How about oh, that? Passing it a legend wrong.
4: It feels wrong, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, uh, uh, well, I, I like Jesus, I like- but Cantona is of a different level, certainly. So, yeah. yeah, um, in that way, yeah, I suppose it does. Uh, also with his goal, this is wild. Um, when he scored that goal, he became the 11th different Arsenal player to score their last, their last 11 goals which is hard to do. And I've been trying to wonder, I've been going back and forth, is that is that good or bad? Like, I, I like the idea that there's a lot of guys who can put in goals for Arsenal. I think that's important. But I don't know. When you think of, like, the marquee teams, when you think of teams that have won titles, they do generally have a guy who is their talisman, who when, you know, when when Or goals two guys. Are hard, yeah, or two, sure. When goals are hard to, you know... A, Holland at City, Aguero before that, Salah and Mane, Hazard, Drogba, Vardy when Leicester won. There's just usually a guy you can you can rely on to get you that goal. And I Jesus could be it. He's showed it in flashes, but he even says himself that he's like, that's not necessarily the strong point of his game. He's not just like a ruthless goal scorer. He does sort of what you were talking about before. He let, he'll hold the ball up. He'll distribute. He likes to do that kind of stuff too. Um So I just wonder if he if he needs to kind of take on that responsibility a little bit more. And if so, this was a good start because his performance in this game was it was his best game so far of the season. I love the header that he scored. Felt like he was in the air forever on that. Mm. Just like a really nice like you talk about alley oops in soccer that that felt like one. Uh, so, you know, this could be a game that maybe kind of sets in back on the kind of form that we saw from him in the first half of last season. We'll see. But I do feel like Arsenal would do well to have somebody emerge as the guy who, who can just reliably get goals for them as opposed to them being just spread out amongst everyone.
4: Jesus. If you don't have that, this is the best next, the next best thing. If you're a team
3: that can score from multiple positions. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I they're, hear- they're, they're not hurting. Like they had, they scored a hundred goals in this calendar year of 2023. So they're not hurting for goals. No. I guess I'm nitpicking.
4: And uh, I know what you mean. And I know what your inclination is towards. Cause we see, we see the Liverpool, the three prong Liverpool attack. We see, uh, you know, what city have done, but honestly, it's, I, I thought Arsenal needed another forward. I still think they need another forward. But in in not having that, having goals from lots of different positions, you can't say it's not a good thing. It is a good thing.
3: Yeah one one final note of a little bit of concern for Arsenal. You mentioned David Raya. Uh, this is from Who Scored. Uh, David Raya six point four two is the lowest rated goalkeeper in the Premier League this season with ten or more appearances. Hmm. I
4: mean, they tried to suck Arteta. Someone in the post game tried to suck Arteta into a comment about, uh, about Raya, but he, he he did the usual. I'm so happy for him for our team. I'm so delighted for him. We won. Kind of gloss over. Don't allow it to be about individuals, but yeah. he can't have looked at, A, his handling of one of the goals when he came for that and just didn't get anything, and B, the Barkley goal, and think, hmm, is it time maybe to bring Ramsdale back in? But, whoa. oh here... Ramsdale's last outing at Brentford, no good. Not no good, but not good. Plenty of errors in that one. Mm -hmm. It may just be that um, Arsenal don't actually have a top quality keeper right now.
3: Uh, JJ, Manchester City, let's move on to them. Is their season, I mean, this is a weird word to use. It's all relative, but kind of spiraling. And this time it's at the hands of Aston Villa. Can Um, I
4: say, can I give you another option? Can I say teetering on the brink?
3: yeah yeah also there's a there's a real urgency to that i can't believe i'm saying this uh there's always at least one quote-unquote club in crisis in the premier league are our city it right now
4: um i mean by their lofty standards coming off a treble dominating the league for the past six years yeah okay i'll 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 go with that we will we'll pay every other club you're right actually, because every other club is kind of where they should be in a way. Um, obviously Everton had the points deduction. We'll get to them. They could actually be in (laughs) 10th. Um, so so yeah, yeah. Maybe they are the crisis club. Maybe everybody else, uh, Tottenham are kind of falling away, but they're maybe reverting to somewhere where we thought they might be rather than where they were. Um, yeah, maybe they are the crisis club, and a crisis by their standards. They got utterly monstered, monstered by uh, by Aston Villa. I was, I was, um, I was reading uh, Football Three Six Five about this game. Uh, never before in five hundred and thirty five league games has a Pep Guardiola team had so few shots, nor has one fi- ever faced more. Villa had twenty two shots to City's two in midweek. You you from almost twel-
3: think you think it's a typo when you see
4: that. I I, I you look at the the box score on on uh, Google and you're like, no, that can't be right. From the twelfth minute, wait for this one. From the twelfth minute, the hosts had nineteen shots to absolutely no response. What the Christ! And if you're looking, when you think of straight up big chances, you can boil cities down to. Holland slipping in and the left, down the left hand side of the box, getting a shot off. Martinez saves it. It breaks to Foden. It's crossed back in. Holland makes a header and and Martinez saves again. That's it, friends. That's pretty much it. When, when in the name of God has this happened before? Well, it hasn't. Well, it hasn't is the point. Um, We have to, we have to talk a bit about. Aston Villa as well. You know, because we've seen shaky cities before and they still go in and they find a way to beat teams. I mean, Villa completely dominated the midfield. And if you do look at the midfield, compare both midfields, cities is a bit lightweight right now. So, uh, then Rico Lewis, Stones, uh, Silva. Alvarez Ford. No, I mean you can pick out of pick what you want out of those guys of of who's more of an attacker, who's more of a, mid, a midfielder. But that seems like a kind of lightweight in the center of the park.
3: Well, we know clearly they are a different team this year when Rodri doesn't play. The four, well, game, are, well, the four games he's been out, they've lost all four of them.
4: Yeah, absolutely. When Rodri plays, they are they are a different side, and and his loss was notable. But even still, like. Look at, look at Villa's midfield. Look what they've kind of um, put together here. So, so they've Te- Telemans, Douglas, Louise, Bubaka, Kamara, and uh, John McGinn. And notable in this game was how many times City would get turned over in midfield. Again, when does this happen? Uh, Villa were aggressive, front-footed, got in, won their tackles, uh, and 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 it's not just it doesn't stop there for City. The back line, Vardial, Kanji, Diaz, Walker. Vardial just does not look comfortable kind of in the wider positions. Like often what will happen, Walker will step into midfield. Diaz might step into midfield as well. And it kind of, how would I put this? they create numbers from the back in midfield and it does leave those who are not involved with spaces to cover isolated somewhat there were so many times i paused watching the highlights and it would be just i'm not not having a, not playing down what unai emery did but it'd be a basic ball into a channel into space over the top in around the back and you're like where are the city defenders like where are they gone um so it's misfiring there too it's kind of if your midfield is not working, it's bad. If your midfield and defense is not working, it's it's doubly bad. And it honestly, I mean, Villa before they actually did score, they should have had two or three before that.
3: Yeah, uh, a couple things on Villa. One, probably, I mean, the best game of Leon Bailey's club career.
4: Definitely, he was unbelievable. Oh he I know, electrical.
3: I know, his goal took a massive deflection to go in, but God, you can't say he didn't earn even still. It. I mean, he, he was just, he was amazing in this game. So I was thinking about Villa a little bit and I, I think I've kind of settled on the, on on the feeling of what's happening here is not for anyone who, who was still unsure. I don't believe that this is any kind of fluke because no. I think that they have all of the ingredients that we always talk about on this show about what it takes to have a successful team. You always talk about spine, JJ. Let's look yes. at the spine of Aston Villa. Keeper, World Cup Golden Glove winner, and I Martinez. Yeah. Defending, center back, Pal Torres. What a yes. huge get that was at center back. And we talked about how his relationship with Unai, there were, there were all kinds of quote-unquote bigger clubs that were interested and in sniffing around Pal Torres for a couple of years. But his, his relationship with Unai Emery, he wanted to go there. Midfield, Douglas Louise, superstar. He has leveled up this season. He's a bona fide superstar. Arsenal are all, there's rumors that they're interested in him for January. Douglas those rumors have gotten loud enough to the point where Luis had to address them. He said my head is I'm with Villa. I'm a Villa that's where my head is at right now. Now we'll see, but for the time being, superstar. And then striker, Ollie Watkins, one of the best in the league and if it weren't for Harry Kane, he might be England's number 9 keeper defending midfield central midfield striker all the way through and then combine all those things with what one of the best managers in europe right now in emery they have all the ingredients (laughs) they they have all of them uh so and and you can feel it too the noise in that place like it felt like i mean look villa have been they they've been back for a little bit but i don't know that felt like sort of like a reassertion that like this this Villa might be entering a new era here where they can compete with some of these teams. It's going to be hard for them as the season progresses. You know, they don't have the sort of depth that some of these teams around them have, but I think that no. they they can they can compete for top 4. I think that they're they're very much in that conversation. I mean, it's it's wild. like this is just their 5th season back in the top flight. They've yeah. done this the right way. I mean, so they were 14th just 2 seasons ago. So I think the crowd like that place could feel it. You can feel it watching them. They've they've built this back very quickly. A lot can change when you get the right manager and players who want to play for him. And I think I think you're seeing the fruits of that right now.
4: Interesting. Uh flying high, Unai Emery, the toast, <laughs> the absolute toast, uh, as they sit there in third. And next up, it's Arsenal at Villa Park, twelve thirty on Saturday. That game has a bit of spice to it because if if you think of it's been it's been this season so far has been a triumph for unai emery and it's it's kind of easy to forget the way he was treated at arsenal yep. and i'm not saying by all arsenal fans or the arsenal board it didn't go the way he wanted it but the general sneer from other sections of the english media english supporters the general online uh snark towards him Uh, it's, it's, you can't not be. He seems like a genuine bloke and a very good manager with an excellent CV. And yet, this Arsenal thing hangs over him. But I think that perception that we got of him at Arsenal is now being erased by what he's doing at Villa because it's not just about buying players. They have bought, of course, they have, but they've, you know, there's a heck of a lot of players in that team that were there under Stephen Gerrard and they were crap. In fact, they were impossible to watch.
3: Yeah.
4: Um and not every sign in has, has worked for um for Emery either. I mean uh Zanolio is I mean the fans are on his back right now because they don't think he's any good. But he's made players better.
3: He's Un- undeniably. Undeniably. Uh let's see. JJ Manchester United. I thought they I thought they played probably their best game of the season so far. They beat Chelsea 2-1. Felt like it could have been worse. It was impressive. Um, XG Philosophy posted this. Manchester United's best XG output since February of 2021. Um, 4.46 XG against Chelsea. Brilliant. At times, they look really, really
4: good. They were coherent. They passed the ball. They moved it well. Um, Now, I have a friend of mine who's... uh, teammate of mine actually who's a United supporter and he he dm'd me today saying yeah you know it was the best performance or whatever but I kind of said to him I wasn't sure if United were really good or Chelsea were bad I actually think United were good now I've settled on that I think United were good I do think Chelsea were bad but but I don't think it should necessarily automatically detract from United's performance um And it needed to be good. Because I think, can we imagine that Chelsea go there and they won? Mm -hmm. Or even it was a 1-1 draw. You know, you'd fear for Ten Hag. you fear for him. I mean, you still fear for him. But he had to win that. And he took a risk dropping Marcus Rashford. And then bringing him on with like seven minutes left.
3: Yeah. And Rashford, to his credit, Rashford seemed to have a good attitude about it. Um, so well, this is in the week that we're hearing
4: 50% of the United uh locker room is against Ten Hag, 50% with him. Uh, and th- I mean, that's that's not good. There's other not good things, like, I mean, a lot of his sign ins haven't worked or haven't worked yet.
3: Yeah, although I thought – I I know we talk a lot about him. I thought Anthony played a a really good game, drew the penalty, although the penalty wound up getting saved. Um, But I thought he he was – One quick second. The the jump
4: before the penalty.
3: Bruno, Bruno, his run-up?
4: Yeah, it's too too risky.
3: I mean, we say it all the time, JJ. How many times do you see a run-up, and before the ball's even been kicked, you say, nope, not scoring? Yeah, that was was one of them. This was one of them. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Uh, I don't like to try and attempt anything when I'm falling from a height. and You know, I would never like be frying an egg and then just jump into the pan or jump beside the pan to do it. Like, I, I can't think of anything I'm trying to execute with my limbs where introducing a jump makes it better. You know, if, it, if a surgeon perform heart surgery and right before he does, he jumps in with the scalpel. Yeah. There's a level of inaccuracy that's built into that action. Um, So, yeah, don't do it anymore, but they'll still keep doing it. Um, uh, And and now we know Scott McTominay is good. He's a striker. Uh, He actually took his first goal really, really neatly. The second one was a good goal, too, with a header. Yeah. It, it was funny, the commentator was, was kind of unsure about what he was watching too because he said, it's been a very good watch but a game that's littered in errors. Like, and there was a lot. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, there, there was plenty of that too. So, um, I should mention for Chelsea, um, Palmer's, uh, cold Palmer's goal is, it's a fit, It's I won't say it's the best goal I've seen this season because I get slaughtered. Oh yeah, come on, do it. But I do like it. we oh, I like it. It's so good because he's running across the box, taking across in front of defenders, but aware the defenders are also playing into they're playing interference for him. They're kind of they're a screen for him, and he flicks it with the inside of his foot into the bottom corner, and and it it doesn't even go in fast, but it's not on Anna's fault. It's just a really clever finish. Rolls it into the bottom corner. Loved that goal. Didn't love uh, Nicholas Jackson's header as much. I mean, Andrew.
3: He had it. You want to talk talk about the text that you sent me? No, 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 no. Because I'm not a mean person. Um, <laughs> at least not publicly. You suggested
4: that he may not it just may be the case that he's not any good.
3: I don't uh, it has to be on the table. Now it's <laughs> it's early, it is still early, and that is I, I understand that it is inherently unfair, but I don't know. You you I've seen a good amount of Chelsea. I'm not impressed. I'm not. And this game I thought he was I thought he was I don't know. Bad. It's okay. He didn't like, have a good game. The header, certainly, but like yeah. that wasn't even the one I sent you the text after um I think it was Sterling. It's basically two on O. Oh yeah. And Sterling plays a ball to Nicholas Jackson and he takes a touch. And <laughs> to allow Onana the time to run up and smother it. And I'm just like <laughs> Every other striker in the league hits that first time. Now, if the keeper yeah. saves it, so be it. But mm-hmm. You didn't even allow the chance for that to happen because you decided to take a touch in a situation where no other Premier League striker is taking a touch there. Chelsea have to have better at that position. And so I do think they're they're generating opportunities. And I, I speaking, if I were a Chelsea fan, I would be very, very excited at the prospect of Christopher Nkoku coming back i, I want to see not coming back
4: just coming to chelsea He's, well, he hasn't kicked right, ball yeah, from them yeah. yet
3: i, I want to see this version of chelsea under poch with that guy and maybe nicholas jackson's role changing a little bit because i'm not i'm not impressed that's a... i'm not impressed not that he cares i mean who am i but wow i'm just telling you what i what i think i think Chelsea would like to have a better player at that position.
4: Imagine if he's in some plush apartment in London listening to his favorite soccer podcast and he hears you say I'm that. I'm sorry.
3: You look you're look, better I- than me, all right? You're better than me. You, you got it, you got it made. You don't need like disregard this. I'm just telling you we we host a podcast. We have to give our opinions. Uh I wonder if Chelsea fans agree. I'm not impressed and I think okay. that I think they could do better. I think that they could do better.
4: Talk about not being impressed and doing better are we going to talk about tottenham though?
3: yeah of course of course we're going to talk about them. jj this was yeah. you, you know that i i am affording them a lot of rope this year uh a lot of slack yeah. i understand what this year is however this this was the first game where Instincts as a fan take over. Like rational, um, you lo- you're a fan. You lose rational thought when something bad happens. You can't always be like, ah, hold on, don't get angry. That's not what this year is about. Sometimes you just be- yeah. you slip into fan mode. This was really the first game this year where I said, "Oh, f- this team!" Like I-, I went straight to that place of <laughs> like raw anger.
4: And you hate West Ham. Let's be honest.
3: Sure like I mean, way
4: more than any other rival apart. no no, no no no
3: that's not true that's not true
4: you, you hate them more than Chelsea no I don't oh you don't
3: no 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 curious oh, I thought no. you did you thought wrong I don't know where that what? they're they are they're this a really annoying thorn in Tottenham's side I mean some of the results they've gotten against good Spurs sides uh have been really frustrating yeah. um Boy, this game just. Tottenham played well in the first half, but total lack of finishing, no cutting edge with the final product. I don't know. I don't know how much of this game you were able to see. The way I felt, Fair the way I felt watching this, I wonder if if you'll feel similarly. Not necessarily in like exactly in the way that the the team played. Obviously, it's different. This was such a Mourinho era game for Spurs, where like how many Mourinho games early lead, brilliant first half, second half, disaster, throw the lead away, lose the game. Like this followed the same formula. I, I All those feelings of Mourinho-era Tottenham in his last year with the team, they all came flooding back to me. It felt so similar to that in the way that this game transpired. Wow. The second half, they were just – they couldn't generate anything. And like, you know, West Ham were were definitely better. Having said that, West Ham's goals were were kind of weird – uh you know the first they were opportunistic the first goal i, I don't i guess that's bad defending by Tot- I, I don't know what to make of it when you clear a ball and it ping-pongs off of two players and goes right to jared bowen's feet i mean like that's that's kind of bad luck but when you don't score goals after dominating a half of play you leave yourself vulnerable to that happening and then the winning goal i mean we're talking you mentioned before about tottenham you kind of slipped in there like maybe we're seeing a normalizing going on here. I think Destiny Odagi maybe personifies some of that. He still has very good moments, but he's picked up some silly cards, which led to a suspension. Then he had this moment of just a brainless back pass. That oh. I, I, it's terrible. And and on the broadcast, I forget who the, the commentator was, he's blaming Vicario. He's got to be braver. He's got to be willing to take a shot uh. to- I thought that was so unfair. Vicario he flew out of his net as quickly as he could. You know, he got he pretty much got to the ball But, you know, it was it was kind of nicked by him. And uh, I don't know. To me, that's like we're deflecting here. Udagi made a terrible play. Vicario did what he could. I don't don't think bravery, lack of bravery was what got in the way. Yeah, this was boy, this was a really frustrating one for Tottenham. And now they're starting they're starting to do a lot of those Tottenham things. They're the first side in Premier League history to fail to win five straight games despite going one nil up in each match.
0: Like I've said,
3: like I said, this is this season is about a lot of things, and winning a title is not necessarily one of them. But at a certain point, this is torture to watch. (laughs) Like, like having a lead, taking a lead in every game, and then not winning all of them. It's it's torture. And Sun spoke about it uh, to Tottenham uh, to their like their Tottenham website. They do like a good post match show. He spoke about it afterwards with them and it was kind of a side of, of Sonny that you don't see very often. Here he is. I can feel your disappointment, Sonny. I don't want to say anger. No, I'm angry because it's not sh- shouldn't be happened. Five times in the row, it's just unacceptable. And then I think we are soft. And we are soft. I think this shouldn't be happened because I love as a, as a boys and I love I love working with the guys, but
1: yeah, this shouldn't be happened. This shouldn't be happened. So
3: that, that's about as mad as I have heard him. Now there's been moments. I know when he got that red card against Chelsea, against Rudiger, you saw it in the Amazon prime documentary. Like that's a different yeah. kind of mad. That's like, I just got red carded and I'm mad at myself. But like, this is to me, I heard that and I'm like, this is feels kind of like a captain finding his voice. Uh, he was, it's a different level of anger calling his team soft, talking about, you know, just like a level of emotion, angry. Like he's always a happy go lucky guy. It's not a side of him. You really see, I kind of, I kind of needed to see that I want to know that this this team is not just content with being like oh we're that fun side to watch again the neutrals favorite because we play a free-flowing style uh, I'll be honest JJ like you know me yeah it's if Tottenham want to play an open style I'll I enjoy that far more as a viewer of course but I'll it but give me whatever leads to winning. I care right. about that far more, and I know not everyone agrees, but I, if you told me a Mourinho-Conte style guaranteed me being in a title race, but Ange Ball doesn't, <laughs> I mean, and, and by the way, that's not true. They had Mourinho and Conte, and it guaranteed absolutely nothing except misery. So I'm not right. saying that. I'm just saying I want, I want them to play the way that will win, not the way that's going to just wow the, the, the neutral onlooker. I could give an S about that.
4: Well, well, I mean, and you're echoing the words that uh, Ange was talking to Spurs in-house uh, TV tonight, and they tried to suggest, one of the uh, interviewers tried to suggest to Ange that they'd played well. Oh, we played well in the first half, played good football. And well, Ange here, Do no, we you,
3: you want to play that? I have it right here.
4: Yeah, go on, play that. It's only yeah. a few seconds.
1: We've got to get away from that. No, I, don't, I don't believe that. We, we, You know, that's part of the problem. I think everyone's saying we're playing good football. Good football means you win games, and I'm not here to play good football. I'm here to win. And um that's been the clear message from day one to the players that uh we play this style of football not to you know get pats on the back. We play this style of football to, to win games and get bring success to this football club. You need to embrace that. That's it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but that's
4: that's where we need to be. Ange is convinced that the way that they play is the way that they play because it's what can give the results. He's not he's not in this for a popularity contest or for most sexiest football team. But what's happening now is this kind of great debate is going on. And if you listen to our friend, Danny Higginbotham on uh, NBC on the broadcast and Tim powered to a lesser extent, kind of saying basically that it's game management and that, that Angeball ball is a good way to play, but that times in a game, you need to sit, drop off, um, uh, change your form, uh, change your style, change your formation a little bit. Be able to be more adaptable. Um, and I kind of I understand what they're saying, but I think if Ange's philosophy is one way, and I th- like if this w- were to fall apart ultimately, and I, I mean it's too. I I I do think Lee, Levy is going to, concerning the injuries and everything, is going to give uh, Ange plenty of time. This is sure. basically, you know. This is a project. Um, but if there was one thing to, that would hurt Angie, it would be ta- tactical inflexibility. And um, and we, we haven't seen him kind of cut his plot to suit his measure with the injuries.
0: The, is, yeah. the philosophies
4: and the principles have said the same. Now, some people have said, some in the... Tactics world have said well actually it wasn't full ange ball against man city in periods they were trying to hold the game on uh, hold the game and uh, okay whatever mostly we've seen ange ball let's be honest full unadulterated undiluted ange ball and now we're in, we're in a kind of culture war about <laughs> Some people want a mix of Ange ball and a bit more pragmatism and others just say, let him Ange to, to his heart's content, go full Ange ball. So yeah, it's, it's, I honestly think January is the more important thing to think about and where Spurs are entering that transfer window. I mean that, because if there, if there are a few points off four, they may say, right, Who's fit? Who's coming back? Who's not going to be a hundred
3: percent? They got to start getting guys back. It, it, it's it has it has killed them more than I thought it was going to, which is a little bit worrisome. But I think we can all see not having Madison, not having Van De Ven. I think those things have really hurt them. And I will and I will think there was a little bit when Tottenham were flying earlier, a little bit of the notion, JJ. I wonder if you were hearing it of like, oh, maybe they're better off without Kane. It's allowed other guys. No. Can we, no. can we, can we agree to never say that again? Like when I saw Rashard tonight come on and miss essentially—I know he's backpedaling a little bit—essentially, he, header. He missed a free header at the back post. Like when I see stuff like that, I'm just like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Better off without Kane. Sure. Keep telling and, yourself and, that. And Ange basically, he he did his
4: own version of, of the repetitious. I'm here so I don't get fined. He he was talking to, I think it was. I'm not sure who it was, maybe it was Amazon or someone in England. And after the game, and they kept trying to say to ask him, you know, about various things. And he, his refrain, which he repeated was, got to take our chances, miss too many chances. Mm-hmm. You know, I kept, you know, kept kind of saying that and and didn't want to entertain any other talk, only when we have the chances, we have to score. And I mean, that screams very much, to what you're talking about there is that you're not better without without Harry no, Kane.
3: You're, you're um, missing your most ruthless striker and their problem is lack this, of
4: ruthlessness. In fairness to West Ham, uh, a lot of people are saying, how did West Ham win that? Oh my God, crazy. Uh, XG philosophy, Tottenham's XG was 1.75, West Ham's was 1.98. Yeah. Um, right. And I think a large part of that XG is, I thought West Ham were poor in the first 20, 30 minutes. In the first half, uh, Hakita had a miss that I thought David, Mo- David Moyes was so enraged by I thought David Moyes was going to walk onto the field grab him and just push him off the field like actually force the substitution through his own physical presence on the field. He was so angry it was a botched uh, attempt at a header from like four and a half yards Dread- dreadful, truly dreadful for a top player that he didn't bury that so you know tottenham did keep west ham in this game and certainly kept them kept them in it enough for it to be 2-1 but we we will see how this plays out and the continuing antipodean culture war that Ange has brought to our shores not our shores england shores
3: every game is just this constant debate oh yeah i i do think that's a a tough existence to be in it's a little bit tiring that every game we're going to do this about the system. Well, uh, I don't I, think, I think they I don't have think... to be afforded a season to try this thing out and then make decisions on, on if, you know, do we want to be adaptable? Do we, is this the only way we can play? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, don't know. I enjoy Spurs this way. Of
4: course you you're, get, you're... you get the chaos, you get great football and you get the chaos and the Spursiness. It's yeah, the perfect uh, package.
3: We're all, every neutral enjoys Making fun of them, watching them, everything that that's just great. I'm glad. Come on, can let's be give Everton everyone. their flowers. Everton, what a win! Three 0 Oh my god! Over Newcastle, brilliant. And they're now they're with that. By the way, they're even with their ten point deduction. Just like that, out of the bottom three. I love bang. that for them,
4: and I I love that they did it against Saudi Arabia. That is, there's there's some kind of poetic justice to that. Um, they went into this one with the league's sixth best defense. You know, who's talking about that? Um, uh, Seamus Coleman back in. uh, And I mean, it wasn't like it was a perfect sight. Ashley Young had to play as a quasi-midfielder in this game. Um, I would say, why Newcastle so flat after kind of dismantling Man United 1-0? Like, that was a 1-0 hammering. It could have been 4-5. or Newcastle had the same set of outfield players for the fourth game in a row. They don't have the options to rotate now with the injury list that they have. Mm-hmm. And then you couple that with a meltdown, two almost identical mistakes from Kieran Trippier, which allowed, on the first instance, um, Dwight McNeil to take the ball off him. He just has a kind of, he turns around, his feet get planted in the grass, he doesn't seem to have an option. Dwight McNeil nips in, takes the ball from him, buries it, great goal second goal um, is the same except it's Harrison that makes the ball off and this time I, I think Trippier again dawdling on the ball caught in possession Harrison runs it in crosses in front and then Decore slots home and then the Beto goal uh, Beto gets it on just inside the halfway on the right hand side and then just dribbles drives forward brings it right run, runs right in on uh, Dubravka who's in for Nick Pope who's long term injury with a dislocated shoulder, and then slots it under Dubravka. three 0 Um, Anthony Gordon booed every time he had the ball. Uh, Dominic, even within this game, there was still a bit of madness from Everton. Dominic Calvert Lewin, one of the great misses of our our era, just swipes at a. He's he, I guess maybe he half thought he might have been offside. He wasn't. He was being played on by the Newcastle defense. Uh, ball sits up, and he just slices of volley high into the into the i think it was at the gladys end into the into the night sky and uh huge hilarious miss but everton were well worth it and i should say that harrison and mcneil make this team better they definitely do they carry that threat they're able to advance the ball dribble with the ball um mcneil i thought was very very good Ah, brilliant for everton delighted for them um Still not convinced by this personnel that they've put together, but um, it, it's beginning to click as a as a Sean Dyche team. Defense mm-hmm. um, is tightening up. It was one brilliant tackle on one of Newcastle's rare forays into the box. Be is about to pull the trigger, and it's Tarkovsky with just a, oh a tackle for the ages, Andrew. He tackled him. The connection was so old school that it brought the game immediately back to the nineteen forties. It was just crunching ball, everything. Brilliant block tackle. Um fair play, Everton. That's all I can say. And I'm I am glad that they're out of the out of the danger zone, albeit Luton now slip in.
3: Uh JJ finally kind of rounding up our Premier League discussion. Uh Liverpool 2 nil, they win. Um it's not really I mean, if you have anything to say about the game, by all means, I will cede the floor to you. Not uh, really not, where a, my, not, ton- not really where my interest lies with regards to this one. No, no. Um Liverpool
4: in, in second. Uh, solid 2 0 win. That's spectacular. I thought uh, I loved Van Dijk's goal. Really nice finish. And I love Sabishleai's late goal. Look like what, another, like he really does look like a class player. But um no, what 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 tickled our fancy from this one was post game where uh, Jurgen Klopp was in great form. No, he wasn't. He was thrown off and rattled and earthed uh, by a little jibe. Now, we don't usually play this amount of audio, but this is spectacular stroppiness. From Jurgen Klopp. It is next level. And you mentioned, Jurgen, you've, you've had to shuffle your pack, you've had some injury problems, you've got all these yeah. games, you're still going strong in Europe, in, in the League Cup, in the FA Cup, you're going to Crystal Palace, your favourite kickoff time at the weekend. You but I read, mean, that, that's well, the that's price great, of success. I say. That's really brave. made a joke did. about that, uh, uh, really. Yeah. But you've still got the passion, you've still got the enjoyment. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's constant, isn't it? Day in, day out. It is. It is constant. Yeah. Now we go home. I don't know exactly when we arrive. What is now? It's our at one o'clock, two o'clock, two a.m. Whatever. Yeah. And then we play again. We have two. Do we have two sessions tomorrow and Friday? Yeah, we have two sessions. So it's fine to recover, and then we go again. So Crystal Palace play tonight as well. So that, that's absolutely fine. It's just not. But I realize you don't understand it as well, even when you work in football, so why should I try to explain again? If you make a joke of that, then make just we are completely ignorant. But it's good. It's obviously football is entertainment,
2: and I understand. It's all good. It's just one of those, those issues that come up and I, I'm i not trying to be disrespectful at You all. were already. Okay. Yeah. Well, can i I've
4: question. Good. good. You can say what you want. Just I cannot say what I want because that would be really different. Well, listen, it's been a success tonight. You've moved yes. to two points of the yes. league, and we wish you every success at Crystal Palace at the weekend as well. Yeah, and we'll tell that to Chris Palace as well. Thank you very much. Thank you very all much, Jürgen. All the best. All the best see you. So there we are. Uh, issues surrounding 12.30 kick-off.
3: Pick- that was Klopp with uh, Marcus Buckland on Amazon Prime's coverage. And Marcus Buckland, to his credit, I mean,
4: he's a pro. I mean, he, he seems to be like for every Premier League video, he is like the, the voice of it. Um tries to be a complete and total pro club. So effing unnecessary to act like that. His point is absolutely true that he makes about the kickoff times, but for him to just get so annoyed by not it wasn't even a he wasn't even jabbing him. It was the tiniest little kind of just a little a bonhomme, a little kind of oh, you know. A little throwaway comment, okay, like that—that that you should respond to it with "oh, you" and a waggy finger, not the stroppy petulance of Klopp. It was,
3: it was amazing, absolutely amazing. That—that um, that is the frustrating thing, though. In this, is like he—he—he he, he very well might be right. Like I've seen some of the numbers, especially I, I saw somebody posted the figures of the the number of times. That Liverpool have had this the early game coming off of an international break. And it's like 12 times since 2017. Next closest is Tottenham with five. Like, you know, so yeah, for whatever Liverpool maybe do get that time slot more. It's a marquee slot because they I guess they want to reach Asian markets. Um, and Liverpool have been really good. And so this is yeah. kind of part of what comes with it. But like, so while he is right, I just like None of me wants to agree with him or go along with him because he's just such a jerk and such a bully. And like, it's like borderline narcissism in in hearing him respond this way. The reaction that he gave to me, it was like, it was almost so weird and like out of whack that it it took me back to my, like when Serginio Dest had his meltdown a couple weeks ago and my, my whole thing was like, is he okay is something else going on? Like th- This was almost that category for me with Klopp. The reaction to the comment that I thought, I thought the comment was so benign. The reaction was so out of whack and out of proportion to what the comment was that I that was what I thought. Is he okay? Like, <laughs> you know, it's, he, he, listen, he's a contrary bastard. He always has been. Oh, and he's, he's so like- honestly, he's, he's, he's like I've, 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 I've honestly i've really had it with that guy he's an incredible manager he's so good i can't take it anymore his whole stick his whole act everyone against us uh, i'm so over it uh i i i just couldn't it was so bad how about it was the like, ending I, like forget oh, the, the ending was the off thing um, you'll say what's that when marcus buckland was like trying to be professional on the way out he's like we wish you all the success this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll say the same thing to Crystal Palace. Oh, that was so childish. That oh was, my- and he slams the mic down and walks off. Just uh, you know, like,
4: and he goes, um, and Marcus Buckland goes, you know, I, and because his little jibe, his little bond me, like I say, his, his his easy way, that clap off site, and then he he apologizes. By the way, I'm I'm not I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but you are, disrespectful. but you were. But you were you already. You already You're have. You yes. Oh, my God. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Now he's no, like, I know they have obligations and they do have to speak to their media
3: partners. I in the primary, league, I totally understand that. But this was like that was after it, a win, that attitude. That was after they won a game. Somebody uh, close to him, like his wife, to tell him
4: to lighten up.
3: It needs to needs to because like he this is how he is. And someone. Like, you know, every once in a while, people who you're close with need to need to give it to you straight when you're acting like an ass. And like someone close to him in his life needs to say, Jurgen, this was you look awful. You got to apologize to this guy. Yeah, this is embarrassing for you. But this, Fergie, was, this was not right.
4: I mean, Fergie did it. And once you reach the level of a Fergie or a Klopp, like you don't people don't say things. Yeah, I love the Fergie. When someone asked a question. About, I think it was Wayne Rooney's contract or something controversial, maybe even about gigs, can't remember. And he's on tape, and there's someone about to ask a question, or there's a there's a lull in the press conference. And um, he turns to his press officer and he goes, Who asked the last question? And she goes, oh, It was um, Simon from the Manchester Evening News. All right, he's barred. He's bad from the next
3: one.
4: <laughs> Fergie just went around like, Fergie didn't even like, like he used to get mad. He did get mad and he did walk out and be stroppy and petulant. I remember once uh, Basil, uh, he was asked about, um they'd lost a game in the league and then they lost the battle, Basil in the Champions League. And he was asked uh, something like, I'm paraphrasing like, why do you think the team's struggling right now? And he goes, Struggling. You're serious with that question. You're serious with that question. And he gets up and he just walks out like pretend laughing. (laughs) But he's really like hurt. Um, yeah, these guys are the it's not just top, but I will not try and defend Clopp. He's an absolute bully moaning when it comes to this. And it doesn't look good, you're right. But no no one's gonna say to him. This is bullying kind of stuff. Like this is not this this went beyond moaning to me. This, oh well, this... he 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 wasn't nice to a guy who was trying to do a good job. And again, I will say it was a gentle, it, it wasn't ribbing. It wasn't it didn't even amount to ribbing. It was a, a gentle bonhomie. And you should all you should respond is ha! and get on with it. Yeah. No, so it was go, like oh, a, a TV host cheeky. who was
3: trying to conduct like a, a friendly kind of like light interview. That's it was what like it was. that. Yeah. And clap. Hold on that guy, man. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll think about it if he's a narcissist or not uh, during the break. We'll come back on the other side. Uh, a little bit of it's, it's, I mean, this is it. MLS Cup final is this weekend. And one of the voices of the league on Apple and their coverage of MLS, Steve Cangelosa, who does such a great job, uh, he's going to join us to give his preview coming up next. More caught offside still to come.
2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: Oh, back now on caught offside. Uh, MLS Cup Final coming up this weekend. Steve Cangelosi going to join us in just a sec. Before that, though, JJ, I know there was one other thing you wanted to point out. We were just talking about Liverpool, not from this game, but from the game uh, over the weekend.
4: Yeah. So um, so quickly, Joey Barton has been going on what can only be described as a, a Twitter rant or meltdown. Um, and I, I don't want to go into all of it. Basically, he doesn't like women commentating or analyzing Premier League football because as women, they can't possibly know anything about it or, or really be able to relate to the game. Because they've never played men's football. That is what he's saying. Um, this is one of his tweets. Stand by everything I've said on women commentating on co on the men's football. Let me talk about, like me talking about knitting or netball. Oh. Way out of my comfort zone. Some of the men are bad enough. We have gone too far. You cannot watch a game now without hearing the nonsense. Any man who says otherwise is an absolute fart parcel, whatever that means. And he's gone around just like basically... Saying this like multiple, multiple tweets. Um, so obviously, if you take a, a stance like this, you're gonna end up on uh and you um and you say words like whoa or you know, talk about an issue like this, you're gonna end up on Piers Morgan uncensored on talk TV. It's just gonna happen that way. Um now here's just a quick clip referring to the Liverpool Fulham game, uh, where Piers asks Joey Barton to give an example of uh, a commentator falling below the standards he feels needed, a female commentator falling below the standards he feels needed to comment on the men's game. Well, I heard the comments from the Liverpool-Fulham uh, game about you know the Endo goal, the, the Japanese boy Endo scores, and the commentator was female, CoCom's female, and she talks about Endo scores with his laces. Now, anyone who watched that who had any knowledge of football Seen that Endo score with the side of his foot, but no one, because it was female
1: co coms and, and, and female uh, commentator, no one said, "Hang on a minute, that didn't happen." So, if you're a young, impressionable person who doesn't know, and you, you're coming for high journalistic
4: standards and content to educate and inform, which is what we're meant to do, if we're in those spots,
2: then then we have to correct those mistakes, and if and if it goes unchecked, it it it, it pulls the standard down.
4: No. For my sins, I, I watched that clip, all of it, and uh and the incident that he mentions from the Liverpool Fulham game, which I watched, two female commentators. I uh I was like, That's wrong, Joey. That's very wrong. Um now Joey says if it goes unchecked, it pulls the standard down. Well, allow me to check you, Joey. This is exactly what was said about the Watari Endo goal. You can hear the difference, Andrew, yeah. Between what Joey thinks was said and what was actually said. She said, How many players do you see at that moment panic, put their laces through it, smash it over the bar? But no, Endo just strokes it into the top right hand corner. She never said he hit
3: it with the laces. No. She
4: said the absolute opposite. Now, if uh, this Joey is, was ca- is on,
3: caveman stuff.
4: Oh, it is it is the absolute worst. But um but this is a guy with a following. This is a guy who's upset that he's t- clearly upset that he's not doing co-commentary jobs right now. But I just thought i I had to set that one straight because I didn't see anyone online who watched the game say, Hey, she didn't say that. Right. Now maybe Joey was doing what a lot of people do when they watch games, half looking at his phone, half watching the game, and he missed it. But like if, if you're gonna use that as your example, why women shouldn't be commentating and you get it wrong and you're banging on about journalistic standards you have to get called on it it is caveman stuff but
3: i think it's our duty not to let him get away with it i'm well. glad no I'm, I'm glad that you did cuz you're right because that's that would go unchecked and then that would become the the new truth yes oh do you hear joey barton he's right she was on about the
4: laces and he really curled it with the inside of his foot by the way if you are watching games and 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 the, and and this is your thought process is about the gender of who is calling the game you have an issue. If you don't like a female commentator, that's fine. Absolutely fine. If you don't like a commentator because she's female and feel she shouldn't be allowed to commentate, that's a problem that rests solely with you.
3: Right. By the way, the difference to, you know, him saying, this is it'd be like me commentating on knitting or netball. (laughs) What an absolutely, what a complete false analogy. Does he knit? Has he played netball? Right. These people, these color commentators are former players. Like it's such a, it's such a ridiculous comparison to me. Absolutely. And in fairness to Piers Morgan,
4: he said, should you be allowed to talk about the Champions League or the World Cup? You never played in either. But anyway, just, it annoyed me. And it annoyed me that no one had, maybe because I commit things to memory. It annoyed me that no one remembered that from the game. I thought it was a good point. Usually, people lash at things late on when they're when they're chasing a goal, chasing an equalizer. They do hit it with the laces instead of the finesse finish. So,
2: anyway, I'm
3: glad I'm glad you did that. I'm glad you pointed that out. Thank you. Um, let's see, JJ. Like we mentioned before, here we go. This Saturday, four p.m. Eastern time, Columbus Crew are going to host LAFC in this year's MLS Cup final. Uh, the game, the pregame, and the wrap-up show are going to be free. That's right, free for all to watch on MLS Season Pass via the Apple TV app or online at tv.apple.com. The pregame, by the way, uh, is going to get going at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And one of the leading play-by-play announcers for MLS Season Pass on Apple TV was Steve Cangelosi. He happened to have the call of last week's Western Conference Final, and he joins us now to help look ahead to this weekend's game. Steve, what's up, man? Thanks so much for joining us. Andrew, JJ, thank you so much for having me. Yeah,
1: season one in the books for me with uh, with MLS season pass. So I'm on the couch with a cold one, like many other people are, for Saturday watching Jake and Taylor do the final. And I can't wait. This is an absolutely fantastic matchup. It is.
3: Yeah, and let's start with the team that you most recently saw in LAFC. You were, like I just said, on the call of the Western Conference Final. First and foremost, Flaregate uh lafc i saw today have been fined the 3252 have been punished you were in the booth was there a moment where you were looking out at the field before kickoff and thinking like uh i don't i don't know how i'm going to call this i can't see anything because that's that's how it looked on tv
1: yeah so in all honesty the actual flares from the 3252 are to my left and it's kind of hard to explain unless you've been in our position. I never actually got a great look at the actual flares illuminating to my left, but obviously the residue and the smoke were in the middle of a, of 25 different things when you're that close to first kick. So the residue was something that, uh, we kind of looked at as soon as the live element of our broadcast was happening. And Danny and I, Danny Higginbotham, my partner, and I looked at each other and said, we're looking at about a 10 or 12 minute delay because the smoke actually seems to be getting thicker. It's not dissipating, mm. but after a while it did go away, obviously. And uh, the kick wasn't delayed all that much. Uh, so the league comes down, I understand with a $100,000 fine for the organization and then some restrictions for uh, the thirty-two fifty-two moving forward. But to tell you the truth, guys, I'm in a little bit of a gray area about what those restrictions mean moving forward.
3: Uh, As Steve, am I. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I don't know if it's been made entirely clear. Well, well, rest of the league has decided en masse that they,
4: well, well, certainly according to social media, And when I say the rest of the league, the rest of the league supporters have kind of been saying, well, the flares looked awesome. We were told we couldn't bring them in. They got in. We're going to try and do this next season. And I'm curious, Steve, where you, where you sit on that because it does provide... A certain atmosphere. I know it's not always the safest thing. Uh, In in terms of a, a commentator, would you like to see that? Does it add to the broadcast?
1: Uh, The visuals speak for themselves. I mean, I guess everyone gets a charge out of seeing one side of a stadium illuminated with flares, Mm. but you're talking about an area of expertise, the box of which I do not check, because I think the key here is that there's some sort of liability issue. And, you know, you're getting into a legal area that I'm certainly not qualified to speak on. So I understand what the league is doing. I understand it from a fan perspective as well. But what the league did come out with certainly didn't shock me. Let me just put it like that, JJ. Sure. Uh,
3: Steve, with with regards to the game itself and LAFC, you know, it was interesting listening to uh, Ryan Hollingshead speak after the game. He, he was kind of talking a lot about how LAFC just sort of know how to win now. And, and I'm wondering, from being around them a little bit last week and the build-up to the game, w- what's sort of the vibe that you get coming from that group? What does he mean by that? That they're doing it in a way
1: that perhaps most of the fine LAFC teams that we have watched from Bob Bradley on day one to the most recent game on Saturday night, we've seen a transformation in how they're succeeding. Now, look, none of this is to ignore the fact that Denny Bawanga scored 37 goals in all competitions this season. But now you look at the manner in which they've won with three consecutive shutouts, Andrew, they haven't conceded a goal now in 320 minutes. And after all of the excitement of the game on Saturday earlier between Cincinnati and Columbus, uh, just from an aesthetics point of view, The game wasn't much late in the Western Conference final, was it? They got the big goal from Ryan Hollingshead on a rebound early. And then I think we saw a team that realized it's as equipped as it's ever been to put the game to sleep. They're chasing a second consecutive title uh, this season. And I think what's important when you have a team in this kind of situation is to tweak it just enough so that it's fresh the second time around. And I think we're seeing an LAFC team that's kind of mastering this with a far more important role for Bowanga than there was a year ago. Increased minutes for Chiellini in the postseason this year, where he has become just as much of an integral player as anyone to the defensive scheme that they're utilizing right now after playing only 46 minutes in the playoffs last year. You have that, you have a couple of other things, and including Maxime Crepo, who's probably going to play this out to the finish this time. And there's a fresh element to this that I think most teams need when they're trying to go through this grind for two straight years.
4: Steve, there's been huge talk uh, around the league
1: about what Columbus crew
4: are doing and the way that they play, their commitment to attack, numbers pouring forward, all those things. Do you get the feeling that I get that maybe that's totally set up for LAFC who are, I mean, 29% possession against Houston and still got the job done fairly easily. Is this set up for um for LAFC to kind of to sting them on the break?
1: That's certainly one way to look at it. Although looking at Wilfred Nancy, who I think is the most tactically efficient coach in the league, I would never just simplify it that way. This is such a unique story uh, of how this team has rebounded from no playoffs each of the last two years to being on the brink of a championship, which is what they are on Saturday afternoon. I think you have two coaches, Chirundalo and Nancy, who probably adjust as well as any two coaches in the league. And I think each one of these coaches have not only a plan to win – But J.J., I also think that they're each capable of having a plan B and maybe even a plan C if necessary, if they need to go down that road. There are many ways he utilizes players, Nancy, and takes them out of their comfort zone. Um, (laughs) I I can't believe the words that have come out of this coach's mouth during the course of the season Mm -hmm. along the lines of the scoreboard is not important, okay? (laughs) Um, (laughs) We all know that those are words that are safe when you utter them two-thirds of the way through a 34-game season, right? But now results are the only thing that matters. They're playing for a championship on Saturday, and they're potentially 90 minutes away. Uh, I think he has a way that he would like to play. We have Steven Morera as one example, who plays that right center back position for Columbus. And he gets utilized as much as any member of a back three offensively, I think, than any other player who plays that position in the league. But Nancy will recognize seven or eight minutes into the game, whether or not that has to be tweaked. I think that he'll play Mo Farsi at the start not Julian Gressel because Farsi is the better defensive player. And I think he's more equipped to neutralize a player like Denny Bawanga, who is so dangerous on the left side of the attack for LAFC. So I'm not going to cut to the chase and agree with you, but on the surface, yes, LAFC, I think would be content again to play this with
3: 30% possession on the night. Steve, with regards to Columbus and their road to get here, Uh, You saw FC Cincinnati beat the Union a couple weeks back. Tight win, kind of a controversial one as well with the late goal. Were there things that you guys saw that night that made you think about FC Cincinnati? This team might actually not be as invincible as a lot of us initially thought.
1: I think the perspective of the whole team changed once we realized that both Obina Wobodeau, who I think is the best ball winner in MLS, and Matt Miazga, who got my vote for defender of the year and ultimately won it, weren't going to play in that game. That's a big, big hit for any team to weather because this is a very challenging time of year when you're trying to knock off uh, four quality opponents in a row. And to do that without the person who was the linchpin of your back three is extremely difficult. Look, there are no excuses up to nothing 75th minute. You have to finish the deal regardless of who is on the field. But those were two two massive hits to an FC Cincinnati side that I, I think was a wonderful story once you take a step back and you look at what they accomplished from week 1 until their elimination in a conference semifinal. But to say that that was a result in the conference final that was going to make me fall off the chair, that loss to Columbus, no, that would be inaccurate because I thought the teams going into that game were pretty evenly matched. Steve, there's, there's always a debate in
4: sports about what constitutes a dynasty. Mm. Or as we say, where I come from, dynasty.
1: <laughs> is
4: is this... Like, if, if LAFC do this, can we look back, oh, it's a dynasty, oh, it's an era of dominance? Or... Are, I suppose in MLS where there's so much parity, maybe can we call it a, a dynasty or do they
1: need to, to add a third? I think the word dynasty would be misplaced, but here's the way I would couch it. The best six-year entry into the league that any club in MLS history would have had, because mm-hmm. this is a team that enters in 2018. Now, if they get this done on saturday and they win mls cup on the road then i think you absolutely rubber stamp what i just said i think you can make a case for it win or lose on saturday because what are we looking at over six years for this side you're looking at two trips to MLS cup, even if they lose one MLS cup championship, you're looking at two supporter shields in that span. You're looking at two trips to CONCACAF champions league final. You are looking at three separate golden boot winners since their entry into the league in Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi, who ironically they play on Saturday. And of yes. course, Denny Bowanga this week. And you're seeing that with two different nucleuses and you're seeing it with two different head coaches, First, Bob Bradley in Steve Cherundolo. That's a heck of a smash entry into this league, and remarkable results over a six-year span. Dynasty? No, because right now the ledger only says one championship. Maybe it's two by six o'clock on Saturday. But my goodness, you can't ask for more in a short amount of spot time since entering this league.
3: Steve, I want to go back to one of the names you mentioned from that LAFC team a little bit earlier uh kielini obviously one of the great legends of this sport but he fascinates me because a lot of times we hear about these guys who come over from europe especially ones who are older they don't know how hard this is going to be the travel the heat all that kind of stuff and i would say a, a plot twist that i did not see coming was kielini getting older and then becoming even more influential it seems like for this lafc team what's the sense you get in terms of his importance both on and off the field for that team I
1: spoke to Maxime Crepo about this uh, a day or two before the Western Conference final, and he said what nobody really understood who wasn't behind closed doors with them is how much Chiellini had to do with the day-to-day preparation of that team, even though, as I mentioned earlier, his role in the 2022 playoffs was very minimal. I believe he played half the game in the conference final against Austin, if you go back last year, and that was his big contribution. He never got off the bench, remember, in the Epic Cup final against Philadelphia last season. The big surprise to me, Andrew, was that he started and he played an entire game on the turf against Seattle. Earlier in these playoffs, I thought that was the place for Aaron Long to sensibly get a starting assignment. But Chirondolo knew something that we did not. How his 39 year old legs would adapt to the artificial surface, how he would hold up and then to come out of that play as well as he did. I think he had seven clearances in that game and then bounce back to contribute to another clean sheet just a week later. Tells us a lot about where he he is now on saturday he officially becomes when he starts and we all expect him to start again he officially becomes the oldest player ever to start an mls cup final so that's another feather in his cap i think uh, pat onsted had the record until this point and of course the whole dynamic is different for a goalkeeper I don't know what's next for Chiellini here, whether this is his final act in MLS, win or lose on Saturday. There's been some talk about him going back for one last ride at Juventus before he calls it a career. Obviously, internationally, it's over for him. It's a terrific question, but he's surprised me with exactly how much he's been able to bring to the table during this run. It has He has not been a passenger for this. He's been one of those that's really been driving the bus.
4: There was one moment, uh, just on, to stay on Chiellini for one, one second, there was one moment where it was Jordan Morris versus Chiellini in the open field, and we all remember it, and Chiellini, it's the only time in that game he looked way off it and looked old. Is that something, if you're the Columbus crew, you're like, right, we are going to isolate him, we're going to try and get at him?
1: They can do that with Cuccio as you know the person that comes to mind when you mention that specific tactical approach, I don't know if Chirundolo will allow that to take no. place, though. Uh, Jesus Murillo's had a very good playoff as well. He's the other center back for LAFC, and that cannot be discounted. Uh, I think they'll give him as much help in that situation as possible. Cucho is having a remarkable playoff. And he is such a clutch, a clutch player. He's had 10 game-winning goals or assists. And he's shining in the biggest possible moments here. I don't want to stray too far away from your question about Chiellini, but I want no, okay. you to take into you know some context here what the crew have actually done in terms of clutch moments. They have three extra-time goals in these playoff guys. No other MLS team has one. OK, so that speaks about their mindset. It speaks about how comfortable they are in these situations. Uh, I, I never thought prior to your question just now of kind of looking at it as an isolation on Chiellini. But could that happen in particular in the latter stages of the match? And in particular, if this goes 120? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Although I think you will see Aaron Long on the field long before this gets to uh the 95th or 100th minute
3: steve you mentioned cucho there for columbus they're such an interesting team to me because they have they've had so many marquee players seem to develop i mean zellerion leaves and there's been no drop off if anything they almost look better can you identify an engine that kind of makes that all work or is it really just an entire kind of conglomeration of all these pieces coming together well, Tim Bezbachenko did a great job having a plan before the actual
1: sale of Zelorayan took place because he always knew he wanted to slot in Diego Rossi at some point. And he's become a very key figure in this formation that they play. That's a 3-4-2-1. So Rossi, as a compliment to Cucho, I think goes a long way towards answering, you know, what's gone right in the aftermath of Zelarayon but I think it also took an understanding on Cucho's part that his role would be modified just a bit. We don't look at him as a pure nine, even though you might say there was no better striker in the league over the last third of the season. I think that what he has the ability to do with the way they play is play a little bit more withdrawn as a false nine. That creates space for players like Matan, for players like Rossi, and he draws the attention, of center backs In the case on Saturday, it would be of Murillo and of Chiellini potentially. And what that does is create wonderful space for Maton and Rossi, who cut in centrally. And of course, Christian Ramirez, who we haven't even mentioned, who will probably get a chance to play in this game, I think at least 20 minutes, depending on the circumstances of the game. So he's adapted to this role wonderfully. And I think that a lot of people questioned Columbus giving up The hero of MLS Cup, the last time they won it in 2020, which is what Zellerion was. But I think a lot of people thought, if not the best number 10 in the game, certainly number two or three behind Tiago Almada and probably someone else. And they have patched that hole as well as anybody could have imagined. And Cucho accepting a bit of a different role has had a lot to do with that. And I think it's been easy for him to accept it because in no way has the goal total dropped off as a matter of fact it got more significant steve seriously wetting the appetite for the final at the weekend
4: just a just a general question on the whole season because it seems to be a season that everything happened in the move to apple uh the the, the arrival of the greatest player in the world to the league I, just in in your position i know it's been busy um i know it's been probably really invigorating but what's your abiding kind of thought now as we face into the final about about the league season in general what 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 are the things that are in your head as you reflect on
1: it that we're soon to have a 30th team and that the number of games has just been immense and for LAFC which is going to play on saturday this is going to be their 53rd game of the season The arrival of the greatest player in the world, Lionel Messi, is something that obviously will be picked up on uh, in the winter of 2024. And I don't want to make this too much about Messi, but this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. How will Messi navigate his first full season in Major League Soccer? Because he's going to have to do this with a 34-match regular season, with Leagues Cup, with U.S. Open Cup, with CONCACAF Champions Cup, playing World Cup qualifiers for Argentina, uh, likely playing Copa America for Argentina. It's a workload that I think Tata Martino and his staff have already thought about. And this is not a Messi issue this is a league issue. And I think the next few weeks and the conclusion of this MLS cup, it's going to answer tangibly a lot of our questions about what the league wants to do about this. Will they expand rosters? We've heard rumors of a fourth DP coming along, which I do think will happen. And that will be the mechanism to add a player like Luis Suarez to into Miami, for instance. Uh, What's done behind the scenes in MLS over the next month and a half, I think will speak very largely to the quality of the product next season. And I'm as fascinated as anyone to see what they land on. Uh, Because Steve Chirundolo even mentioned something in the buildup to these playoffs. This is not the league it was five years ago. This is a league where players 18, 19 and 20 on your roster, they have to be tangible players capable of meaningful minutes. And if not, you're going to find yourself with swaths of emptiness during the course of the season because you're not going to be able to field a quality team.
3: Yeah. And it's particularly interesting with Messi, too, because like you said, you mentioned all the different competitions, but also from a TV perspective, from an attendance perspective, there's such a pressure on him to play game in, game out. It's it will be interesting to see him navigate that. uh, Yeah. I mean, hold up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Open cup. I mean, uh, can you really get him on the field before into Miami makes a semifinal? I mean, you're going to have to hedge your bet somewhere. Right. Uh, Mm. and, And it'll be interesting to see you know, how they manage that workload, because this is not David Beckham entering the league uh, 15 years ago, guys. This is someone who's still firmly ensconced with his national team. Heck, he's a defending World Cup champion and someone who's four years older than Beckham was when he came into the league. All of that stuff matters when, you know, you figure out how much he can get on the field for a full calendar year in 2024 and he's somebody not, who wants to play at the highest level he doesn't right. want to play 60 innocuous minutes on any given night yeah i i just can't wait for emil forsberg to join the league that's the most uh that's the thing i'm looking <laughs> forward to to be honest with you yeah i mean 20 year association with the red bulls so you think we're excited about that here in the northeast absolutely oh yeah <laughs>
3: uh steve last one we've had um we've had danny higginbotham on this show many times in the past one of our favorite guests how was he to call games with this year?
1: Uh, it's been quite an experience with Danny. Now we had uh, a couple of games together, uh, for ESPN prior to being paired together this first year with Apple. Uh, Danny is a student of the game and a teacher of the game at the same time. I think that's the best way I can synopsize that for you. Yeah. Uh, you know, he is one of the brighter tactical minds I've ever encountered, but not only that he possesses the ability to communicate it to a soccer savvy audience and at the same time a novice audience as well and that's been the great thing to experience with him side by side and uh we talk tactically about the game so many times during the course of a week uh that i'd probably bore you to death with some of the minutiae that we get into But it's stuff that makes him terrific at what he does. Uh, It's been a wonderful ride. We did
3: 55 games together this year, and
1: we can't wait for next season.
3: Well, the game, the pregame, and the wrap-up show will all be free to watch on MLS Season Pass via the Apple TV app or online at tv.apple.com. Pregame, like I said, at 3 o'clock. Steve Cangelosi, one of the voices of the league on Apple. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it.
1: This was terrific, guys. Thanks for having me. Hope to talk to you next season. Okay? You got it.
3: Great stuff from Steve Cancelosi. He was awesome.
1: What a fantastic,
4: great breakdown. I I, I met him once when we were working for ESPN at Red Bull Arena, but I've never uh, we've never had him on the pod before.
3: Yeah, and I, I mean, he was great. Definitely would love to have him back on again for sure. You know, some of what some of what we talked about there with him, it's really interesting. thinking about lafc you know he was talking about some of the the different personnel Yeah, you know, i was reading i think it was jonathan siegel uh his piece on on the game and lafc's road lafc's road to this point um i think he said there were inter if you add up the like the the comings and goings from last year to this year there's there have been 30 transactional moves for lafc i mean it's it's look some of the key pieces certainly are there vela of course um but I mean, it's like a different team in so many ways. And it just goes to show that, like, I guess, you know, the managers there, the heart and soul of the team, like if you keep some of these key pieces in place, you know, that that can go a long way. But, you know, you have to have, you know, John Thorrington has had to make really smart, shrewd moves to be able to keep this train on the tracks the way that he has. Uh, and it's I mean, it's really a credit to the coach, to these players who came in to the front office that they've been able to turn over the roster in one year, the way they did and still wind up right back in the same place that they were at a season ago. It's uh it's really impressive. Obviously, you know, you look at guys like Bawanga who have taken his game up a notch. I mean, what an unbelievable season he's had for them. Um, you know, Vela still playing at this high level. This might be his last game coming up for LAFC. We'll, it will be? Yeah. Could very well be. Um, I think he wants to stay in Los Angeles. So that
4: works in their favor. Yeah. Um, and uh and, But Chiellini seems to have, Chiellini said, the club is open with me and has given me the total freedom to decide. I still am in doubt. I have to understand what I have to follow, if it's my head or if it's my heart.
3: So. Chiellini, more than anyone on earth, makes me feel old. Because when I look in the mirror, I don't feel like I see an old man, an old face. But Chiellini, I do. Like when I look at him, I'm like, that's an old guy right there. He's Chiseled. He's he's like six months younger than me. Yeah, I know. What? But he looks...
4: So, some people take on old face. <laughs> I mean, he's always had old face. When he was 29, he had old face. It's crazy. Yeah. Some guys just have old face. There was a guy who played for Sheffield United in the early 90s. Um, What's his name? His name was Alan Cork. I want everyone now to go and google alan cork and alan cork is a man who had old face classic case of old face look at his playing pictures especially for <laughs> sheffield united
3: Oh my. wait a minute yeah is this him coming back for a testimonial no he's 34 but- in this picture that i'm looking at
4: yeah don't forget what happened to this guy yeah i know i know um also, the addition, the, the losing of the hair and the addition of a beard that's graying is going to age you. But even when he played for um, when he played for Wimbledon, he had old face, too. He actually yeah. yook, looks younger now. Strange. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. So Alan Cork. Classic old face. And if you've got any people in your life or professional sports people that you know of that have old face. Please contact us here at Caught Offside at COSoccerPod on X, Cutoffsite Pod at gmail.com, and uh cutoffside pod on Instagram. We'd love to see your old faces.
3: Here to make a prediction on our way out here?
4: Um I think LAFC are gonna spoil the cruise party. Um and I think they'll I think Columbus will score I think two one, two uh los angeles
3: man that's a shame i wanted i want to disagree i want to have intrigue I, I have the same result and the same score as my, wow. As my prediction wow because i i don't i don't believe that columbus would be shut out i just think the way they play like there's a there there's a goal in there certainly at least one um but i don't know i keep like i asked i just asked steve about it in the interview like Ryan Hollings said that comment just keeps ringing in my head about the way he talks about their, you know, how they know how to win now. Yeah, pretty much. Like that's, they've kind of found that level. They talked about it after Seattle, after that game as well. And certainly it was on display against Houston. Yeah. Have possession. Go ahead. Have 70% possession. It doesn't you're not going to get much against us. That's just how we play. And then they, oh. they're ruthless at the other end with guys like Vela and Buanga, uh, Oliveira. So yeah, I think so. 2-1. I see the same thing. We'll Good see. It'll of- be fun. I'm glad it's, it's going
4: to be, I I think so too. I think it's going to be a great game. Should
3: mention before we get out that Chiellini's
4: former teammate, um, Paul Pogba, and this is from ESPN and the Associated Press anti-doping prosecutors in Italy requested a maximum four-year ban for Juventus midfielder, Paul Pogba on Thursday after the 2018 world cup winner tested positive for positive for testosterone. Um, Pogba opted not to make a plea bargain with Italy's anti-doping agency, meaning the case will be tried before the country's anti-doping court. So there's nothing decided, but four-year bans are standard under the World Anti-Doping Code, but can be reduced in cases where an athlete can prove their doping was not intentional, if the positive test was a result of contamination, or if they provide substantial assistance to help investigators. So, um, Pogba's made no comments, but this is, uh, this, I mean, were it to be, uh, implemented it will be career ending. Well, he, he's profile.
3: 30. So he'd be 34 when he comes back. Uh Four that's years not old. That's I mean, look, it's not career ending, but I don't know the the level of team or league that will take a chance on him at that point. Um
4: Saudi Arabia.
3: Yeah. NLS, I don't know. Who knows. Um boy, it feels for what his career was and then became, it feels like there's a, a Netflix documentary just begging to be made here.
4: And not the one that he did, the Pugmentary. Oh. Right, 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 yeah, no. A proper one, uh, done without his consent, but with access. That's yeah. what we
3: need. That's sad. Yeah. It's 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 sad. Um, JJ, that's about all I got for this one. This was a behemoth. We knew it would be. We did our best, but we failed. <laughs> Uh, Hey, everybody, enjoy MLS Cup Final this weekend. Like we said, 4 o'clock, Apple, free to watch. Pre-game starts at 3 o'clock. Our thanks again to Steve Cangelosi for joining for a preview. JJ, to you I say.
4: Check you later, fun boy.
3: I'll see you.
4: Take care, guys.
3: You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.